Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, picking up in verse 18, and then going to go through verse 38, the end of the chapter. And as you're turning there, uh, I wanted to begin with Isaiah chapter 61, and it begins with, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And as we begin and continue our study through uh, Matthew chapter 9 here, we'll see the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 in the words, but also in the works and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus heals, he performs miracles, and he also heals the brokenhearted. My hope is that we'll see how awesome our God is. There's nothing too hard for him. But also that we'll see he's moved with compassion for people to connect with him, that, they could, that he could be their good shepherd. My hope is we'll be moved with compassion as well for people. We'll want to see people connect with Christ. And so let's take a look and see how Jesus heals the brokenhearted. We'll take a look at verse 18 through verse 26, and we'll see Jesus heals and restores to life. Matthew chapter 9, picking up in verse 18, it says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went into all that land. We'll pause there. We see after Jesus had made reference in the first part of chapter 9 to doing something new and talking about establishing a new covenant, we see then a father comes to him in a desperate state, and, and, um, and we see that, uh, understandably, he, he was seeking help at this point. Uh, his daughter had, had died. And we see this man had tremendous faith. He comes and he worships Jesus. He says, my daughter's dead, but I know if you lay your hand on her, she will live. Often we look at the religious leaders of that day kind of in a bad light. 
and mainly because of two things. One, because how prideful they were, right? The hypocrisy, thinking they were better than everyone else. But also because they continued in unbelief that Jesus is the Messiah. But that's not always the case. And we see with this man, uh, he was a synagogue leader. And yet he had faith in Jesus. He bowed down before him and worship. And Jesus received that worship because he is God. And we see as Jesus was on his way to this man's house um, to heal his daughter and bring this dead girl back to life, um, we see there was an interruption, right? That as they're journeying that way, another gal comes on the scene. And a woman who had been alive, but in a sense dead to society for about 12 years due to a flow of blood making her unclean, she comes to Jesus and she is healed. Now, this woman probably was exhausted, uh, having been through all the possible treatments and trying to find a cure uh, for her situation. Perhaps she felt like life had no meaning or no purpose, no future. I'm sure she felt helpless. But hearing that Jesus was coming, he was performing miracles of God. She would come out of any state of despair. And she told herself, since I am unclean, there's no way that I can get near Jesus in order to be healed. So if I could just touch the hem or the tassel of his garment, maybe that'll be close enough. Maybe then I can be healed of this situation. One commentator said that these fringes, there were four blue tassels on the corners of his outer garment. It was meant to remind a Jewish person that they were chosen by God and that they also belonged to God. So she believed in the healing power of Jesus. She believed that God could heal her. Um, but she felt like she needed to get close enough that she could just touch this part of Jesus' garment. And, and that, in a sense, was a point of contact uh, of her faith. Um, much like what it says in the book of James, where call for the elders if any are sick, and they will anoint you with oil. Right? There's nothing magical about the oil. Right? It's a point of contact. It's putting your faith in what Christ is doing. Right? And we're following the instructions that God tells us, uh, that it's our faith in him. And so we see that um, she reached out for help. God saw her faith and chose to heal her, and immediately she was cured. But also, if you notice in the text, God gave her a new title. Jesus called her daughter. She may not have heard that title for a long time. It's very possible uh, because of her uncleanness that her family uh, was not able to be around her. And she was an outcast. She was on her own. And now she hears this title, daughter. You see, being a part of God's family, you need to know that you are chosen. You are loved by God. You're his beloved son or daughter. That is your identity. No one can take that away. God loves you. You're chosen and you're his. So we see after this woman who was healed and, and made clean, Jesus then goes uh, to see this young girl who had died. She was 12 years old. And we see there was, there was this noisy crowd uh, that was there. And there was a tradition uh, that you would pay for people to come and, and wail and, and pay for people to Pay, uh, uh, to, to play the flute 
And the idea behind that, that it would show significance. It would show the importance of the person you're grieving. If there was none of that, then people would assume, well, this person really wasn't uh, very important. And so the more noise, the more music you had, then the more important the person was. And so Jesus hears all this commotion going on. Right? He goes and he... he um, Endure some scorn from the crowd because he says that the girl is asleep. And you see, for a believer, that is what it is like. The moment that we take our last breath here, we take our first breath in the presence of God. First thing we're going to see is Jesus, right? We're going to be fully awake in the presence of our Savior. And so we see Jesus sends the crowd away. He goes in to see uh, this little girl. The other Gospels tell us that uh, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him, uh, his inner circle with him, to see uh, this miracle take place. It tells us she, he, he takes her by the hand and raises this girl to life. Now, I can't imagine what the mom and the dad would have been experiencing in that moment as they saw their daughter come back to life, but uh, I'm pretty confident that they begin to worship Jesus as well. And uh, we do see that Jesus reveals his power to heal, but also the power to bring the dead back to life and really give them a new life. And that's because Jesus is the author of life and Jesus is all powerful. Now, a couple of things I wanna say about this as well. First, no parent should ever have to go through the loss of a child. And even as difficult and painful as that experience is, God is there to help. When life doesn't make sense, we need to pause and come back to what we know to be true. We don't let go of uh, of the Lord. We don't let go of the things we know to be true for things we, we're uncertain about. What we know is that the world is broken, but we know that God is good. We know the world will pass away someday, but we know that God is faithful, that God loves me, God loves us. And when we keep our minds on God and, and the promises of his word, on the promise of heaven, we can then slowly begin to heal. Allow God to heal our broken heart, to comfort us, to give us peace, right? And to be with us in that situation. And in time, we may find ourselves comforting others with the comfort we've received from the Lord. The second thing I want to make mention here is you need to know that God does not heal every time. There are those out there that teach that that um, you just need to ask God and he will always answer in the way that you desire. But Jesus didn't heal every dead person he encountered. Jesus didn't heal everyone around him. In fact, Paul, the apostle, even prayed three times, Lord, heal me of this. And the answer was no. We need to recognize that this world is temporary. It is passing away. The ultimate healing will come someday. It will take place when we make it to heaven. We'll be given new bodies, right? Perfect bodies. And, um, and there will be that ultimate healing taking place there when we're with our Lord in heaven. I may not fully understand 
the why behind those things, but I know who I can turn to you for help. And you'll see that in this world. When hardships come, when tragedies come, it'll either make you bitter or it'll make you better. People either turn to something and try and deal with the pain, deal with a loss, or, or numb that, or they'll turn to God and they realize, where else, do, where else can I go? I'm going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to find comfort and healing in Christ. And, and that's what we need to realize, that we can turn to the Lord and, and that God is always there. And like Job, we can say, I know my Redeemer lives. And so Jesus defeated death at the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus has the power to heal our bodies, to bring the dead to life, and even more, which we'll see next in verse 27 through verse 34. It says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And we had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. That when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. The multitude marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. We'll pause there. We see a, another set of miracles take place. Right? The first miracle, Jesus is going to uh, the synagogue ruler's house to heal his daughter. There's an eruption. There's an, another gal that is in need of healing. He heals her, and then he heals uh, the daughter and brings her back to life. Um, as I was just thinking about that, it reminds me, how do we deal with uh, interruptions in life? Uh, do you handle and those pretty well? Sometimes we get set, you know, I'm going over here to minister to someone. I'm going to go do this. This is my plan. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, I could use some help. Can you pray for me? Or, hey, I've, do you have a minute to chat? Well, you know, not really, Joe. I, I, got, I got things to do. Jesus was a very busy guy. He could have done that, but he didn't, right? He, he welcomed those uh, divine interruptions. And it reminds me that we need to be open to that as well. God may have different plans for us in that day. Maybe there's a knock on the door. Maybe it's a phone call. Someone needs to chat. Someone needs some prayer. Be open to those kind of things. Those are opportunities the Lord is bringing across our path to minister. Well, we see another pair of miracles take place here. First, uh, some blind men and then a mute man. And these, these blind men um, had to ask others where Jesus was going. They had to listen to every sound that might indicate uh, where they were. And, and, and these men determined to follow him to their best ability. And there's something about that where you lose one of your senses. Your other senses kind of go into overdrive. They kind of help offset some of that. So they were probably very, uh, very uh, acute to listening to the sounds around them, hearing uh, there's a crowd coming. And, and so we, we see these two men follow Jesus, and they shouted, Son of David, 
have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. We see that they believe Jesus is the Messiah. Son of David is a, a messianic title. So they recognized who Jesus is and they say, Son of David. But they also asked Jesus for the best thing that they could ask for. Mercy. To have compassion and pity on them. Oftentimes, um, we don't all fully understand uh, the concept of mercy or the concept of, of grace uh, or even sometimes of justice, right? Justice is, is getting what you deserve, right? If you uh, ran a stop sign and you get a ticket, you got justice, right? You did a crime, you had to pay the penalty for it. Uh, mercy is saying, you know, look, officer, I apologize. I'm new to the area. Uh, can, can you just give me a warning? If the officer goes, all right, I'm giving you a warning. I'm going to show mercy on you. Uh, hey, that's a good thing. But God sometimes goes above and beyond that. He gives us grace. That would be like where the officer says, all right, not only am I not going to give you a ticket, but I'm going to give you a, a coupon for ice cream or something. You know, who knows, right? Uh, or, or here's some cash, right, to go take care of your light or fix that, right? That's in a sense what God does. Right? He, he gives us that, that mercy, but he also gives us that grace. And so these, these men aren't asking for much. They're just asking for mercy. Please have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Have compassion on us. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, their sole appeal was to mercy. There was no talk about merit, no pleading of their past sufferings or their persevering endeavors or the resolve for the future, but have mercy on us. And Charles Spurgeon said, you will never win a blessing from God for demanding it as if you have a right to it. I thought that's, that's so good. That's so true, right? This is not a name it and claim it healing process. Um, God's the one who's in control. Faith does not guarantee healing for every individual. Now, there are uh, many people that pray for God for healing, and he does heal. But there's also many people that pray for healing, and they're not healed um, because it's, it's not part of that plan. Um, but at the same time, there are people that uh, don't pray, and they're not healed because they lack faith. They, they don't ask God, right? They don't seek the Lord. And so we see these men, they proclaim their faith, saying, Yes, Lord, we believe you're able. We believe that you can heal us. We believe that you can make us whole. And then we see Jesus touches their eyes. Again, Jesus could have spoken and said, Be healed. But he puts his hands on them. He touches them. And he says, According to your faith, it will be done. Again, Jesus healed the blind men in response to their faith, just as he did with um, the father in this earlier situation and with, with the, the woman. And so it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's where you place your faith that matters. You can have mustard seed-sized faith, but if that faith is rightly placed, you're trusting in the Lord, that's a good thing because you're putting your trust in a mighty God who can do miracles, right? And so we can realize that we need to have that faith rightly placed in God who is mighty. And then uh, we see excitedly these uh, men tell others 
Um, they were pretty enthused, even though they were kind of told to keep things quiet. Um, but we see they bring a mute man to Jesus. And sadly, for um, the Jewish understanding of the day, uh, they believed that if you were demon-possessed and uh, unable to talk, that you were helpless. And so the Jewish people viewed this man as a lost case. He was helpless. There was nothing you could do for him. And that was because most of the rabbis of that day taught that you, the essential first step in exorcism and casting out a demon was you needed to know the name of the demon. They, they believed that was kind of a, a handle or a door, if you will, to then get that demon out of that person. But we see that um, Jesus had no problem. The demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And that's because all you need is Jesus. Right? Jesus is the only door to healing. Jesus is the only one who can make us whole again. Jesus has the power to give sight. Jesus has the power to give us speech and set us free from any, any kind of bondage that we face. But sadly, we see the Jewish religious leaders, they attribute this work this power of God, the display of Jesus' miracle, they attribute this work to the power of Satan, which doesn't make sense. Jesus will deal with that later on, that a house divided against itself wouldn't stand. But sadly, we see they continue in the rejection of Jesus, continue to reject the work of God among them. But we'll see as we continue next, that doesn't stop our Jesus. We'll take a look at verse 35 through verse 38. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, verse 35 talks about how Jesus went into the cities, the villages. Uh, he's teaching, preaching, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Some people take verse 35 and say, well, look, Jesus always heals. All you have to do is ask him in order to be healed every single time. But that's not what the verse says. It's saying that all, every kind of sickness that came to him, every kind of disease that came to him, he was able to heal. That means there's nothing too hard for God to heal. There's no impossible case for the Lord. He can heal. He can restore we're to take those things to God in prayer, right? And trust him. And then we, we leave the results in his hands. And we see that um, Jesus, as he was going about these cities, he was teaching in their synagogues. And the Jewish synagogues, that is. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom as well. And so we see the ministry of Jesus was also connected to preaching the gospel declaring the good news. And this was telling others about how he was the promised one of the Old Testament, the one that the Old Testament said would come. 
that he was the fulfillment of those prophecies. And for us, as we tell people the good news, it's also pointing to how Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies in the New Testament. It is a pleading with people to repent from their sins, to, to, to stop heading that direction away from God, to turn around and head towards God, to put their, their faith, to put their trust in Jesus Christ, and then follow him, right? actually follow him and live with him and for him. As we are looking at these, these miracles that Christ has done, I love that Jesus does not form a pattern. And you'll see that very clearly at all the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels and the Scriptures. Uh, he doesn't heal the blind person the same way every time. Right? One time he'll put mud in someone's eyes and say, hey, go to this pool and wash. Sometimes he speaks and they're healed. Sometimes he touches and they're healed. Uh, there's no formula right, for that healing. And uh, I love that in a sense because um, sometimes we're trying to define the circles in which God can work in, right? That in which God can move and we develop certain methods. And so sometimes we like to stick to a method, especially if it's worked in the past, right? We think, well, it's going to work again. But God is full of surprises, right? And his ways are above our ways, and so we need to rest in the grace and the sovereignty of God. So I believe, and in, in it's wrong for us to try and attempt uh, to, to pattern God after our methods. We want to do what the scripture tells us to do. And so you'll hear some people say, well, I pray to God and, and I prayed these exact words at this day and I was fasting and I did this, this, and this, and God healed me. And so, brother or sister, if you want God to heal you, you've got to do exactly the same thing that I did. Here's the, here's the prescription. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, and then you've got to say these words, and he'll heal you. He may or may not. It's not a formula, right? There's, there's no magic formula. But we see that, um, that God is looking for our faith. And, and so we must not look for the same experience as someone else had. And I would say we probably shouldn't even look back at our own experience and try and replicate that same experience. We must look to Jesus. We must trust in him and the work that he wants to do. Now, we also see that in verse 36, Jesus, he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. We see Jesus encounter the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. And the word compassion is a, is a compact word. It, you could say there's two words that are kind of driving force behind the word compassion. It's love and action. Right? Jesus loved the people, but then there was an action that took place to demonstrate that love. And it, it talks about how he saw them scattered and weary. They were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. And if you've ever worked with, with livestock, if you've ever worked with sheep before, well, how do I say this in a nice way? They're not always the smartest animal. <laughs> um, they can get into trouble pretty quick if you don't guide and direct them. They need, they need a shepherd, right? And, and God is telling us that through here, right? That, that 
Mankind apart from God, we're like sheep having no shepherd. Without God, we are lost. And so that means we're going to be in a lot of trouble in this life until we come under the care of our good shepherd. God desires to keep his sheep near him, right? He desires to love us and that we could hear his voice and that we would follow him. If you're not among the flock of God, um, you need to know that today's a good day to make that decision of salvation, to be a part of the family of the Lord, be a part of his flock, to receive Christ as both Savior and also Lord. To realize that Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose from the dead. You want him to save you. You want him to rescue you. But you also want him to be the Lord, that good shepherd, right? The one who is in charge of your life. The one that you can entrust your life to and follow and be obedient to what he says. And if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, well, he says here in 37 and 38, for those of us who have trusted him, he says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Christ is saying there is a, a plentiful amount of work to be done. Right? The fields are ripe for harvest. And, uh, and there is a need uh, for laborers. There is work to be done. And I love that he tells his disciples to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And we're not going to get there today, but we'll get there next week. When you begin chapter 10, you'll see immediately he calls his disciples. And then he sends them out. He answers their prayer. And so you need to know if you pray, Lord, we pray that there be more workers for the ministry you're doing. Hey, be aware that he may say, great, you're one of them. <laughs> Get ready, right? And so at Calvary, we don't pressure people to serve. We don't pressure people to become a witness um, just because there's a shortage of labor, right? The harvest belongs to the Lord. He's the one in charge. We simply pray that God would compel workers to serve. They want to be a part of the work that he is doing. It is exciting uh, sometimes it's a little messy, and if you've gotten involved in any form of church ministry, you realize it can be as messy at times. And there's also beauty behind God restoring, God healing, God at work in people's lives. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know you're part of the ministry. So welcome to the ministry. God has something in store for you to do. And so, no, if we pray this prayer honestly, we need to pray with an ear open to hearing Jesus and then obeying the command to go and tell people to come and see. And again, that's going to be the next chapter. But, um, but there is a harvest, right? There is a season of harvest. And if you've worked with, uh, out in the field at all, you've, you've conversed with farmers or you are a farmer, you, you fully understand this. There's a season for tilling the ground. There's a season for planting the seeds. There's a time for watering the seeds and the growth. And then there comes a time for harvest, right? And Jesus is saying here that this is a time for harvest. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me that time is running out. 
We want to make sure we don't waste time, right? And you don't see farmers typically do that. They're very busy. They understand the tasks at hand that need to be accomplished. And so as I look at this, it reminds me we need to be investing our time wisely, right? We want to make sure that we're telling others about Christ, that our life is a reflection of Christ in ours as well. So in closing, we live in a fallen world full of troubles and tragedy, full of trauma and tears. But Jesus came to be our Emmanuel, the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He came to rescue us, the Son of God, the only one who was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins, the only one who was perfect. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned once. Then he voluntarily went to the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve. To be the, as was John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the truth is we owe a debt of sin we can never pay. But Christ paid our debt of sin he never owed. Right? He took that place for you and for me. And Jesus is the only one who can heal us. He's the only one who can make us whole. And so in the good times in life and those bad times, may we turn to Jesus. May we trust in him. May we walk with him and worship him. And I hope you know that God sees you. He knows what you're going through. You can turn to him. You can trust him. Know that God is with you and that God loves you forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders here, Lord, how you care for us. Lord, that you are near to the brokenhearted and that you desire to heal the brokenhearted. We thank you, Jesus, for your compassion. That not only have you said that you love us, but that you've demonstrated that love by going to the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we realize that, Jesus, that you so love the world that you gave your life for us to rescue, to redeem. And then whoever believes in what you've done for us, believe in you, will not perish but receive everlasting life. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, for being our Emmanuel, but also being our Savior and our Lord. We pray, God, that we would continue to turn to you for healing and for wholeness, to trust you, Lord, that you were going to walk with us no matter what we face. Help us, like Job, to choose to worship you. I say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We ask, God, that we would have hearts that are close to you. And Lord, we pray today that there be anyone here who needs to surrender their life to you, that today would be their day of salvation. <coughs> and if you're here this morning or you're watching this live stream online and you say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me. I need to get right with God. I realize that uh, I am not a part of that flock that I can't say he's my good shepherd. 
and I need that. I want that today. If that's you and you're ready to surrender your life to God, ready to turn it over to him, to ask him to forgive you, I want to encourage you to do that today. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Make sure that you know Christ. You have his forgiveness in your life. And if that's you, I simply want to lead you in a prayer in a moment where you make the decision with the full weight of your trust, your faith in him and him alone. And if you're ready to do that, I simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and truly mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I realize my sin has separated me from you. But God, I realize that you love me. That Jesus, you came to this earth. You lived a perfect sinless life. And you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried and rose from the dead. God, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all wrongdoing. I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you, that I may do your will. God, I thank you for knowing me. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for saving me and adopting me as your child. I thank you for being my savior and my Lord my king and my closest friend. I thank you for allowing me to be a part of your forever family. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord or perhaps a rededication, I'd love to connect with you after service, pray with you, give you some resources, give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study his word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Life to you I give shout from the inside